Shortly after President Joe Robertson announced his retirement in October, the OHSU Board of Directors set a goal of appointing a new president by July 1, 2018. And later, as a public corporation of the state of Oregon, OHSU is subject to public records disclosure laws. It's Tuesday, January 30th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. David Yaden is a longtime OHSU board member and chair of the Presidential Search Committee. All right, well, thank you for joining me today. Uh, President Robertson announced his retirement in October, and about a month later, it was announced that the Presidential Search Committee had been formed and a search firm had been hired. What is the name of the search firm and why were they selected? Corn Ferry is the name of the search firm. Uh, There were a number of reasons why we selected them. Number one, they are actually doing the search for a new foundation president, uh, which means that we will be able to coordinate those two searches uh, very closely. But we would not have selected them solely for that reason. They had an extraordinary insight into the kinds of candidates that we might be looking for, and we found the two principals with whom we are working were very well uh, known in the academic uh, medical world of uh, around the nation, uh, well uh, prepared to uh, have a big Rolodex to search out good candidates, and very well uh, interested in, uh, in working with us uh, to make sure that it's our search and that they would support us very professionally. The board of directors set a goal of appointing a new president by July 1st. How does that timeline compare to a typical university presidential search? This is faster than some people would think is a norm. Uh, Frankly, we think there are some real advantages to doing it, and we are well on our way to achieving that. So uh, the, the real advantage is for candidates capable of taking on this extraordinary opportunity. They don't want to see a long, drawn out process. Uh, This is also such a highly visible and desirable position uh, that people gravitate to it quite quickly. Obviously, there are some candidates who need to weigh whether the timing is right and so on, uh, but we're finding uh, that it's working as we hoped. So you don't think that this aggressive timeline will, you know, in any way hinder our ability to find the best person for the job? I do not. We are very encouraged by the quality of the applicants uh, we are seeing. So where are we at in the process so far? We had the first meeting of the search committee in early December. That was an extremely important uh, meeting. We have 12 members of the search committee who are intramural to OHSU. We have four uh, members of the board of directors. We have the presidents of Portland State and uh, University of Oregon, as well as the CEO of Skylakes Hospital in, uh, in Klamath Falls. The search committee offered up some very robust thoughts about the position description and what we might be looking for, particularly emphasizing that while we all understand that this is an Oregon-based university, it is in fact poised to play a larger role in research and reputation, clinical reputation nationally, and wanted to see a little more expression of aspiration in the position description. We did that, and as a result, we are seeing that in the uh, responses we're getting from the candidates who uh, appreciate uh, exactly that 
strong institution, but ready to take a next step. So that meeting was very important. Uh, We did have a slowdown then, of course, because of the holidays. So we've really only been in the field trying to solicit candidates for a month and that's you know pretty short time, but we're still getting really solid candidates. We have our uh, second meeting of the search committee today, where we will begin to discuss some of the uh, first group of candidates who have applied. We will then have a subsequent meeting in uh, later February, where we'll look at all the candidates who have applied and uh, select a number of them for uh, video interviews. I realize there's not a lot you can say about the candidates. We're kind of at a confidential stage in the process, but is there anything you can elaborate on in, in terms of the candidates you've seen so far? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, again, uh, emphasize, first of all, that uh, as the search firm has gone out into the market, they have found nothing but uh, enthusiasm uh, for OHSU as an institution and this uh, as an opportunity. Uh, it's really quite remarkable that uh, – the reputation of the institution is as strong um, as as it is on so many fronts, not only for the quality of what it does, but for its uh, financial strength and for the form of governance that we have here. Some people are wary about stepping into kind of messy governance situations where either state governments or others uh, you know, kind of play a, a, an unnecessarily uh, intrusive role. And this is such a nice, clean operation. Our relationship with the state has been so good, thanks to Joe Robertson in many ways. Um, we're seeing candidates who really are excited about uh, the opportunity uh, to take on uh, an institution that has such a strong presence in a state, but also has higher aspirations. Uh, we're seeing candidates who have, uh, you know, really extraordinary experience as deans in other administrative roles, exceptionally strong research uh, records. Uh, so we see people uh, who may have slightly different strengths, but when you look across the board, it's it's uh, very gratifying. Uh, so uh, we're very encouraged, and we're encouraged also that we are seeing a reasonably small group of people capable of doing this job, some real diversity, and that's very exciting for us. So when do you anticipate being able to share with the campus community who the finalists are? We will be interviewing on campus six semifinalists among a fairly small select group, the board and a few others, because this is still a very confidential process at that stage. We will then have three finalists to bring onto campus in April who will be public and will have very broad exposure to, uh, to the whole OHSU community, both internal and external. So what is the search committee looking for in a new president? We are looking for someone who just lives the core values of collaboration and team building that have been so important to OHSU. We're not looking for some top-down leader who is just going to come in and and, uh, do what they want to do at all. This is fundamentally important. We're looking for somebody who has real feeling and understanding and experience with all three missions and who understands the importance of balancing all of these things. Uh, We are looking for a leader who can deal very effectively with the 
public setting and the public role of OHSU. Joe Robertson has done an extraordinary job of maintaining the trust of the legislature and uh, advocating for this uh, and explaining this uh, university uh, broadly. We need somebody who can do that, and we need somebody who can both manage and oversee the management of a very complex institution while also leading us toward a, a stronger and uh, more visible presence uh, nationally. And that will entail a very strong record and commitment to uh, fundraising and philanthropy. So all of those things go together. You announced at a board meeting that the search would be guided by certain principles, first among them being inclusivity. And you mentioned that so far you've seen a pretty diverse group of candidates. What are we doing to ensure that we do get that diversity in the pool of candidates? Well, the first thing we did was make very clear to the search firm as part of the hiring, make sure that they had a track record of uh, being able to reach into those communities themselves. It's, it's very important for search firms to have their own reputation uh, and be able to do that and to have the kind of Rolodexes that allow them to to do that. So basically, that's that's what we're doing. Advertising that way made it very clear in the position description. So we think we're doing uh, what is doable. And I understand that as a search committee, you went through the new unconscious bias training that we're rolling out to the rest of campus. Is that correct? Yes, it was uh, extremely important and it turned out to be extremely productive. Dr. Brian Gibbs, uh, who's on the search committee, helped us put that together. It turned out that everybody on the search committee hung around to, even though they'd been through, some of them had been through similar training and engaged for a full two hours on this very important topic. And I have to say, it, it was one of the best experiences I've had that we all came away, I think, feeling more competent in dealing with this issue of unconscious bias. And uh, I'm very encouraged by it. Yeah, and I think looking at the the list of the search committee members, it seems like it represents a lot of diversity in, in many different ways and seems to be very representative of the campus community. Well, we certainly tried uh, to do that. You cannot represent every single unit or group or interest in an organization such as uh, large as uh, and complex as OHSU. But we have emphasized to everybody on the search committee that they not only bring their unique perspective and interest, but they are there to represent the whole university and the interest of the whole university. So we're very also conscious of uh, needing to do that. It's been over 10 years since OHSU last searched for a president. Do you think the job of the OHSU president has changed in the time that Joe Robertson has been president? And what does that mean for the search committee? According to Joe Robertson, it has definitely changed. Uh, and as a nine-year board member, I can see how some of how some of it has changed. I think the the first thing is beyond just the growth of in size of the institution, the world in which it operates has become much more uncertain and fast changing, whether it's the healthcare marketplace or pedagogy or even where research funding will come from. So I think Joe today would say that you can't be looking under the hood as much as, say, he did when he first started. The new president will not be able to be as 
deeply engaged in the day-to-day operations of the hospital. The new leader, new leadership these days has to be able to manage complex organizations at a high level, which means you need somebody capable of managing a bunch of strong other managers. Additionally, I think People understand that with the world changing so rapidly today, you need somebody who's a real thought leader and can understand and help the organization adapt quickly to that changing world. And finally, the ability to be an empathetic leader, team builder, a strong communicator. These are ever more important. So I think that the tilt is away from being a strong manager towards being a strong leader. I understand that your role on the OHSU Board of Directors is coming to an end, but you have agreed to continue serving as the chair of the search committee. What advice do you have for future board members and the future president? Boy, that's a that's a, a big, big question. First of all, to understand for any new board member what a privilege it is to serve on this board. It's been a real honor for me. Secondly, even though the business operations and the management of the institution uh, loom so large and are so pressing day to day, stay with the the example of Joe Robertson in never forgetting the public purpose for which the institution lives. Finally, I guess to have a strong sense and an agreed strong sense of the strategy, the vision of where you want to go, but be prepared for uh, the day-to-day twists and turns and don't be upset by needing to change your tactics in the pursuit of whatever your strategy is. And uh, finally, to understand how fundamentally important philanthropy has become in this day and age. Well, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's an honor. Jason Davis is an attorney in OHSU's legal department. He provides legal counsel on matters relating to public records. Jason, recently we spoke about what it means to engage in political activity as a public employee. Another thing that uniquely impacts OHSU is Oregon's public records laws. First of all, remind us why these laws apply to OHSU. Yeah, so OHSU is a public corporation of the state of of Oregon, uh, created by statute. And as a result, there are certain laws that apply to public bodies or and the public records law, it happens to be one of those things. So what is the reasoning behind public records laws? And generally, these laws establish a general expectation that uh, Oregon's government will be transparent to the people of Oregon. Um, it's part of being publicly accountable. Uh, it allows public scrutiny to help ensure that the government is spending tax dollars wisely and is working for the benefit of the citizens. So I hear the terms FOIA, um, public records, used interchangeably sometimes. What does FOIA stand for, and what's the difference between that and public record? Sure. FOIA is the Federal Freedom of Information Act. So it's federal law that applies to the federal government and federal agencies. Um, And then there are various states typically have their own public records laws that then apply to the state agencies. So OHSU as a 
Public Corporation State of Oregon is subject to Oregon's public records law, but is not subject to the federal Freedom of Information Act. So what is a public record? Can you give us some examples? Sure. Public record is, in essence, anything that is in writing or maybe in electronic form that is created and maintained by a public body uh, that relates to the business of the public of the public body. So, for example, um, emails, if it relates to OHSU business, would be considered a public record. Um, notes taken on a pad during a meeting, if it relates to the OHSU's business, that's a public record. Text messages, any, any sort of electronic document, um, policies, basically anything that gets created here at OHSU is a public record. Okay, so this podcast, the notes I took to prepare for the podcast, these are all public records. They are public records, which means that an individual can request them and we may need to disclose them uh, under law. So what is that process like? What is, how does someone go about requesting a public record? So anyone can uh, request public records. Uh, their motive is irrelevant um, for the most part. So, you know, it could be someone from the media. It could be someone sitting at home. It could be someone from out of state. And what they would do is they would typically, we, we ask that request be submitted in writing and it would be submitted and we have a public records coordinator here at OHSU, and either the request would go directly to that individual, or uh, if it went to somewhere else at the institution, um, our policy requires that um, the person who receives it sends it to our OHSU's public records coordinator. And then what happens once it's received? So once the public records coordinator receives the request, the law requires that we send an acknowledgement of the request. So uh, first thing I think she would typically do would be send the requester an acknowledgement saying, uh, we got it, and um, let them know we'll be working on it. From there, the public records coordinator would work to try to figure out who is the custodian of the records here at OHSU. Obviously, records are held um, centrally in some, some environments and decentrally in others. So part of what she would do is try to figure out where those documents that are subject to the request may be. It may also involve trying to seek clarity from the requester as to what they really want. Um, sometimes the requests themselves are unclear. So eventually, once we have clarification on the request, the, there would be some back and forth between the custodian of the records and the public records coordinator to figure out how long it will take to produce the documents requested. After the acknowledgement, the next step is going to require us to either produce the documents within 15 business days, which is about three weeks, or within that time frame, provide an estimated time to produce the documents. So we have about a three-week time frame to identify and provide or determine how long it's going to take us to provide so that we can communicate that to the requester. So what does it mean to be a custodian of records? It could mean a lot of things. Um, I'd like to get Patrick's emails. Well, Patrick's emails may be that Patrick is the custodian of that. Um, so it kind of depends on the nature of the document and figuring out who might have those. I mean, if it's paper form, maybe it's in someone's file. Uh, if it's electronic, maybe it's on their 
you know, on their computer or on, on one of their drives. And that's how we're trying to figure out who the custodian is. So really anyone that's creating some sort of document or taking notes in a meeting in, in that example is essentially could be the custodian of, of that record that they've created. Correct. So if that were to happen, let's say I take notes at a meeting and then someone requests Patrick's meeting notes, um, what's that kind of look like for me as the person who's involved in a uh, public records request? Sure. Again, so the public records coordinator would reach out to you and ask, do you have these meeting notes? And um, you would say yes, or if you didn't have them, no. If you had them, yes, then um, more than likely you'd send them to the public records coordinator. And you guys would have discussions around the nature of that document or documents under the public records law. It is a disclosure law, which means that we're required by law to disclose the records. But at the same time, the law recognizes that there's certain records that can be redacted or not disclosed because they meet an exemption. I mean, there's various exemptions around personal privacy or safety or even protecting some sort of more private business practices. And obviously the public records coordinator may not have the background knowledge about what's in the content of that record. And the custodian may and may see that there's certain information that needs to be protected. So there'd be discussions back and forth to try to determine um, whether certain information is exempt or not. And finally, just to try to determine what's going to be produced. When it comes to personal information, I know that a more controversial request that we had a few years ago was when a local newspaper requested the salaries of all employees. Was that not considered personal information? And maybe can you kind of distinguish between what's personal information and what's OHSU information? Basically, the information that we have about you that relates to your work here um, is going to be public record and is not sort of your personal information, meaning things about you outside of work. For example, your home address or your home phone number. Uh, there may be reasons that we need that here, uh, maybe for emergency contact and, and things, but that type of information really relates to your personal life outside of OHSU. And so th that kind of content um, would likely fit into the personal privacy exemption. When you look at things like your OHSU email address or your OHSU phone number or your salary here at OHSU, your pay at OHSU. Um, again, that, that's OHSU business um, and relates to OHSU business and typically uh, would be a public record that we would have to disclose. So I realize this isn't black and white and you're a lawyer, um, but just to clarify that, so I don't have to worry about my home address being given out or kind of, or my social security number, but something like my OHSU salary could be released. It it could be. Um, again, typically, the agencies that help enforce this uh, this law take the position that salary is a public record that's not private. And I think we see that that seems to be a pretty common one you see in the newspaper about, um, you know, salaries of city employees and various agencies, police officers and whatnot. So I think sometimes maybe people just don't realize that working at OHSU makes them a public employee. No, that's right. And I think if you go to most of the other universities here, their websites, University of Oregon, Oregon State, you'll see that they have their salary information of all their employees online. Same for the state. Um, state agencies, their employee information and salary is all 
publicly available. You can go to it and look at it yourself. So beyond just kind of understanding that as OHSU employees, we're public employees, is there anything else that your average OHSU employee should really be aware of as it relates to public records? I mean, I, I think just sort of fundamentally, because you're working here at OHSU, which is a public body under the public records law, you should just be aware that um, you know the records that you create, the records that you produce, um, are going to be public records and um, therefore may be requested at some point and therefore in the public's eye and subject to public scrutiny. I think also just awareness of the role you may play in trying to produce these records if at some point we get a request and that um, obviously responding to a public records, most of us don't consider that as part of our work duties, but uh, nevertheless, that's one of our responsibilities as a public body. And I think those are sort of the two key points, I guess I would mention. I think as someone whose emails have shown up in public records, um, it's definitely a little surprising to find something that maybe you sent months and months ago and thought went to archive forever ago, um, show up on someone's desk. Um, but I think, you know, then when you look at it, as long as you were doing your job and doing what you're supposed to be doing and being professional, then there's really, um, it's kind of no big deal, but I think it's kind of a good reminder that we do have that public oversight, um, you know, rightfully so. And that, uh, what we do at OHSU, um, could be kind of seen in a broader light. Yeah, I think that's important. I think even in those cases where it's determined we're not going to produce the records because it's subject to an exemption, keep in mind that there's probably going to be a review process of um, what's in emails or other documents um, and be internally reviewed. So at OHSU, we deal with a lot of sensitive information, patient information, PHI is obviously... Um, chief among those, but also a lot of, um, you know, sensitive research information and, and student records. And, you know, we've really had a big focus the last couple of years on information privacy and security and making sure that we're kind of keeping all of these records secure and that they don't get disclosed. And really this public records law is all about disclosing records. So how do, how do those two kind of concepts reconcile themselves? Not always easily, but nevertheless, I think a lot of those, uh, that information that uh, we consider and treat as confidential fall into um, exemptions under the public records law. Again, meaning that we, we won't be required to release that. So. For example, there are um, exemptions around student records and medical information and also recognition that, you know, information protected under other federal or state laws will be exempt under the public records law. So we may look to something like FERPA for student records or HIPAA for um, patient records and point to those um, and as for as an exemption under the public records law. So, you know, I, I think, you know, we take an efforts obviously to protect that information and we would continue to do so under the public records law. But I mean, it doesn't always align. I mean, research, faculty research, uh, is, there's an exemption for that information, at least until it gets published. 
Um, but we still have to sort of evaluate, evaluate it and, and make a determination um, whether we're going to release it or not. So the fact that information, we think it meets an exemption or not because there's these broad exemptions doesn't remove uh, the fact that oftentimes we still have to review it and make a final decision. So it sounds like as a custodian of a record, um, just recognizing that there may be some internal kind of process that we have to go through, even if in the end we don't um, disclose the record. And, and I guess on the flip side, recognizing that just because someone requests something doesn't necessarily mean it'll be released, but um, we'll have to look at it. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And I think it's important that to remember that the public records law is a disclosure law, not a confidentiality law. So um, it always um, leans towards disclosure and the exemptions themselves are um, sort of narrowly interpreted. Um, So we do have to sort of evaluate and gain information about and particular background information about why, you know, what's in a document and why is that important and you know, what is the harm if this was released? And lots of times there is a bit of back and forth to uh, try to, you know, make the decision whether we're going to redact it or not. And it's also important to remember that the law requires that you go through a document and redact. Like the whole document itself typically isn't exempt. Only the information within that that meets that element of an exemption. So... Um, as part of the back and forth, sometimes it's some marking up of, all right, well, these, this paragraph meets the exemption or these three lines meet an exemption and having that reviewed because, you know, on the public records coordinator end, she's not going to have the background to, to sort of independently make that decision. So it sounds like it really is erring on the side of transparency and that seems like the that really aligns with our kind of institutional <laughs> values around that. So, you know, I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, again, the public records concept going back to that is to ensure transparency and accountability uh, to the citizens of Oregon. And um, that, that's what that law promotes. Well, thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced by me and edited by Josh Anderson. I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.